If you have your Bibles with you, go and make your way to 1 John in the New Testament. The easiest way to find there is if you don't have one of those electronic devices to start at Revelation and just work your way back. You only have to go a few books back. But uh, we've been going through this series you can see behind me called Remain in Love. And uh, the idea is to remain attached to God, remain lodged in God's presence and where God wants us to be and what God wants us to do. And to do that, it takes effort. It takes time. It it takes intentionality on our part to remain in love with God and to remain in the love of God. The Bible tells us God is love, so the whole focus is we as God's people should want to be where God wants us to be. And the Bible tells us when we do this, we bear fruit according to what we claim as our our faith in Christianity. We bear fruit according to Christ because we're attached to Him who is the vine. And by doing this, we, we live out a life of obedience and we get to experience the joy of Christ in our life. And it's not only a focus on God, but it's a focus on our relationship with God's people, that we need to be in harmony with God's people. Because when we're not in harmony with God's people, we actually belittle the forgiveness and the grace and mercy of God. And so we have to be intentional about that as well. Uh, this morning, I want us to turn to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 17. And um, just been praying for this week and, and what God has, has laid uh, as part of this series, because I think many of us, um, this message for some of us is going to be a beautiful reminder, and some of us, we're going to be fighting a battle, and you'll see what I mean here in a second. First uh, John chapter 2, verse 17, the word of the Lord says, And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. And this is pointing out a very important message that we all need to come to reality of, we all need to be thinking of as we walk about in our life, is eventually this world is going to win. Uh, The Bible paints a very beautiful picture we talked about in Bible study this morning, is that there will be a day when a new heaven and a new earth will come and we will be given new bodies in Christ. There will be no more sin, no more mourning, no more anger, no more jealousy, no more coveting. It will just be perfection. And we'll be given a new body in Christ in in the presence of a holy God. And so the, the word of the Lord here is saying it's going to be passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. And the will of God, that's kind of a funny phrase, isn't it? I mean, we use that phrase so many different ways. Some of us pray it, uh, God's will be done. Just as Jesus taught us, you know, we're, we're praying like Jesus. But have you ever said or ever had someone say to you, you know, well, if it's God's will. Has anybody ever heard that? You know, if it's God's will. Well, that always makes me wonder, can we actually know what the will of God is? Or are we always just left questioning, you know, if it's God's will. Well, according to the word of God, we're to remain in the will of God and be doing the will of God. So it must not be a questionable thing, according to God. That is something we are to be knowing, something we are to be doing. Because when we do the will of God, there in verse 7, it says we will remain forever. That is a, a, a term of eternal life. We will remain forever. So what is the will of God? Well, if I look in Scripture, the will of God is how God reveals himself. It's how he makes himself known. It's how he reveals his ways. It's how he reveals what we call his laws or his rules or his commandments or his regulations. It's those things which God has set in place that his people would live. That is his will. It is his plan. It is God, God's will is his plan in life. And the word of the Lord says that God's plan is that all people would come to salvation to the knowledge of truth. So what is truth? Well, Jesus said pretty plainly, I am the way and the All right, come on, we just got started. You can't start sleeping yet. I am the way and the 
truth. Okay, so if, if God wants all people to come to salvation and a saving knowledge of truth, then God wants us to come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ and who he is. And Jesus said, I and the Father are one. I, I am equal with God. I am the same as God. He was, he was God manifested in the flesh. And so to be in the will of God is to know the word of God. It's to know Jesus Christ. It's to live as Jesus lived. That's God's will for your life. Someone say, if it is in the will of God, then we really need to go to the scriptures and say, well, is that the will of God? Does God want me to be rich? Does God want me to win the lottery? Does God want me to have an American dream, fancy home with a picket fence? Does God want... Does, well, I don't think God's really concerned about worldly things. He's concerned about your heart and where your heart is. Is your heart trusting God? Is your heart following God? Jump with me down to verse 24. And these are verses I really want us to cling to this morning. 1 John chapter 2, verse 24, because he uses this phrase again concerning eternal life. What you have heard from the beginning, and John is writing to believers. He says, what you have heard from the beginning is to remain in you. That's, that's our, our key word for this series. If you have heard from the beginning, if what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, then what you will remain, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He Himself made to us eternal life. As I sat on this this week, and, and think about, okay, God, you know, this is the passage that you, you showed me several months back for this series. But what exactly do you want to say to your people this morning? And I sat on this and I began thinking about my own journey with Christ and my own journey through the scriptures and coming to understanding. You know, a couple years ago, uh, God opened the door for me to go back to seminary and to begin uh, my seminary studies. Um, now, part of the reason I put that off was because I was on the five and a half year program when I was in college and I was kind of done with the studying for a little while. Uh, my parents are here. Hi, mom. Hi, dad. And so they, they appreciate the five and a half year program, too. Um, but I was done. Most of my friends who were in the religious studies, they went on to seminary, Kansas City or Louisville or down in Texas or somewhere else. And, and they just went right into it. And I wasn't there. Plus, I also knew that God was calling me into full time ministry even before I graduated. I mean, it, he had already lined up my first full-time position by the time I was going to graduate in December. I was going to get married a few weeks after I graduated, and then I was going to come back in January, and I was going to be a full-time employee of a church. And, I mean, God was good. And so I knew he wasn't calling me into seminary right off the bat. But uh, God did open the door a couple years ago for me to begin my seminary studies. And as I was going through seminary, I, you know, reading all these books and, and hearing these professors and lectures and things like that, you know, you come across words like, eschatology and Christology and, and justification and propitiation and atonement and sanctification and righteousness and the doctrine of, of, of sin and the doctrine of salvation and the inerrancy of scripture and all these multi-syllable words that are really cool to say and make you sound really smart. But it really can make the Bible complicated. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I think we, and when I say we, I mean we as pastors and we as teachers of the Bible can make the Bible ridiculously complicated. We can make it sound as if it's something you've got to have a PhD or some sort of doctorate or master's or some sort of education in order to get into the Word of God and understand what is the will of God and what does God actually want me to lodge myself into. 
And so as I was reading this passage of Scripture, there in verse 24, John is led by the Holy Spirit, says, What you have heard from the beginning is to remain in you. And if what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He Himself made to us, eternal life. So just think about this for a second. We all, we all play along with me just for a moment. We all... Willingly close your eyes. <laughs> yeah, I know that's dangerous for a preacher to ask people to close your eyes, but just go ahead and just go and close your eyes for a second. I'm not going to smack you, and no one next to you is going to smack you. When you came to Christ, just think about that moment. When, when you came to Christ, what did you understand at that moment? I don't, I don't care if you remember the date, but I guarantee you probably remember how tall or short you were or how tall everybody else was. You probably remember maybe where you were or even what church it was. You may remember certain people that are involved in that situation. But just think about that for a second. When I came to Christ, what did I understand at that moment? All right, now open your eyes and keep them open for the rest of the time we have, okay? <laughs> okay. So when you came to Christ, what did you understand at that moment? Did you understand the term justification? Did you understand propitiation, sanctification, what the sacrifice of atonement was? Did you understand the full doctrine of sin? Did you understand what faith fully looked like in your life? Did you did you fully understand the love of God and the holiness of God? At that moment when you came to Christ, what did you understand? What, what did you have from the beginning in that moment? I bet you understood that you had sin in your life. I bet you understood that God loved you and Jesus died for your sin and rose again. And I bet you understood you needed to do something about it. And so for many of us, our past is this. As we came to that understanding, whatever age we were, and when the preacher got down and said, we're going to sing a song of invitation, and if, and if you want to invite Christ in your heart today, in your life today, come on down. And I bet many of us in that moment stepped out and walked down an aisle, whether it's at church or camp or some sort of conference or retreat. Anybody, is that, is that kind of what it looked like in your life? You can raise your hands. It's okay. You know, we're not voting on anything. So, Yeah, you, you stepped out. You walked down, and, and you came to the preacher. And I bet in that moment, you, you told the preacher, maybe your mommy or daddy were with you. Maybe you grabbed your friend to come with you, maybe a boyfriend or girlfriend. But you told the preacher, you know what? I believe. I know I'm a sinner, and I want Jesus in my life. I want to be saved. You may have had a small idea of what hell was, but it was large enough to understand that you didn't want to go there. And you knew Jesus was the only way. So, so how many of y'all, when you came down the aisle, the preacher prayed with you in that moment? Yeah. Did you fully understand what was happening? Did you fully understand what it meant to be a new creation in Christ, that the old is gone and new has passed away? I bet not. I bet actually what you understood is that this is the Bible. It talks about God and questions that are asked in Sunday school are answered by God, Jesus, or the Bible. I bet you could rattle off some cool Christian jingles. You know, Jesus loves me or my God is so big. 
Father Abraham. You maybe even rattle off a few verses of Scripture and maybe not the whole thing, but when you saw Jesus in a picture, you knew that was him. When did we make remaining in God so complicated? Because there was a moment in our life, all that we understood is that God loves me. I'm a sinner, and I need to be saved. Hear the words of John again. What you have heard from the beginning is to remain in you. And if you have heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. And in this promise that He, and this is the promise that He Himself made to us eternal life. And so when I began, I said, here's going to be the danger this morning. Some of us are going to hear the rest of this message, and, and the temptation in your mind is that I already know this. I already know that. I've heard that a thousand times. I've sung that a thousand times. I know that. My question this morning, because I know it too, and my question this week is, but am I in awe of it? Am I amazed of it? Am I so excited today, just as I was when I walked down that aisle and asked Jesus into my life? Is it still the wonderful cross? Is it still amazing grace? Is it still the songs, I'd rather have Jesus? Turn with me to Corinthians real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We don't necessarily know what John taught to the believers. Um, I mean, we can kind of gather some stuff that he talked about through his gospel and his epistle. He definitely talked about the love of God. He definitely talked about remaining in love. He definitely talked about showing love and, and loving God and loving people. I mean, that's kind of the theme of his gospels is love. But what we do know is there was a man named Saul who eventually uh, was called Paul who was given the commission to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And as he was preaching to the Gentiles, a a particular moment in his ministry, he felt compelled to go to Jerusalem and report to the apostles. The apostles would be the, the 11 or eventually the 12 who were eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ, who Jesus had commissioned to be apostles. And he goes to them and he delivers, this is the message I am taking to the Gentiles. And they approved of that message, giving him one other thing, make sure you're taking care of the poor and the widows. And he said, well, I've already been doing that. And so because Paul gave his message to the apostles and they approved it, yes, that is an accurate message of the gospel, we can therefore go to the letters of Paul to see what it is we are to remain in or what we've been remaining from the beginning. And it's really a simple message. But beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in verse 3, it says, For I passed on to you as the most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, Cephas another name for Peter, and then to the twelve, and then He appeared to, the, to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. And when He's saying that in verse 6, He's saying, if you don't believe me, you can still go ask them. They're still breathing on this planet. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, as the one born at the wrong time, 
he also appeared to me. And so let's go back to verse 3 and let's talk about what we knew from the very beginning. And to understand this, I, I ripped this off of the North American Mission Board. Um, I, didn't, I was not cool enough to come up with this acronym, but GRACE, the word GRACE, G-R-A-C-E. And just understanding what we learned from the beginning, that that's what's to remain in us so we can remain in the will of God and remain where God wants us and the Son in us and the Father in us. Paul begins in verse 3, says, For I passed on you the most as most important what I also received. And what was the most important? That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And I think that's where we all started in the beginning. And so the first word for grace, the first letter is the letter Larry knows it. Thanks, Larry. It's G, right, Larry? All right. G. To understand what sin is, we need to understand who God is. And that's G of grace. I have to come to understanding of who God is. And, and, and I'm not talking about all the doctrine and all the theology. I just need to know what God says from the very beginning of his book, which is what? Genesis 1.1. Anybody know it? You don't have to be a Bible drill person, I mean, to be a good Christian either. But Genesis 1 1, who, who knows it? <laughs> Jesus. No, that's not the answer this time. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So, the very first book, in the very first chapter, in the very first 10 words of English that we read in the Bible, actually seven in the original language, say, In the beginning, who? God. What's that tell us about God? He was already there. He was there in the what? Beginning, beginning of all time and all things. It was God, God alone. That's why he is God. He is the one true God and the only God. And, and the Bible says in Genesis 1, he created all things, the heavens and the earth. He spoke them into being. That's the power of God. That's the knowledge of God. God knows how it all is supposed to work, how it's all supposed to come together. And he had this beautiful image and this beautiful picture of creation in Genesis 1. And he puts it all together. But how does that, that help us when it comes to understanding what we know from the beginning? Well, we had to have some idea of who God was, that he, you know, he's bigger than us. He's stronger than us. You know, uh, he is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing our God cannot do. Right? <laughs> we had to have that in our mind about who God was. He's bigger than me. And so how that helps us is we read in Genesis chapter 1 that God did something very significant for you and for me and for all mankind. He didn't just speak, but what did he do to mankind? You all didn't think you had to think this morning, did you? Come on. What did he do? Yeah, he formed us and he breathed the breath of life. He formed us in his image. So we're to be image bearers of God. And God created us. And after he created us on the sixth day, he said, it is very good looking at all creation because it was in his will. It was perfect. But you only have to go two chapters over into chapter three. And we see that God gave his will to the first man and woman. He says, don't eat of this fruit. You've got to trust me on this. Satan slithered in, tempted them. They fell. Excuse me. They fell and they disobeyed. They moved outside of the will of God. And because of that, sin came into life, into our hearts. We were born with a sinful nature. And I guarantee that's, we had some idea about that when we were saved. 
We had somebody, God is big, he is good. That's why we sing about him all the time, I guess. And I have sin in my life. I do things that I shouldn't do. My parents, and if you came as a child, your parents told you something, you came to understand, well, I don't always listen to mommy and daddy, and so I better get saved because I want to go to heaven. And that may have been your whole, your whole motivation at that moment. But you understood I had sin in my life. And the Bible says that all of us, every single individual has sinned before a holy God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the God who will judge every single individual on the day of judgment. We will all stand before him and he will separate us into two groups. We are the righteous or unrighteous. He either knows us or doesn't know us as his child. And we came to this understanding you know, I don't want to be in that group that goes to hell. That may have been your starting point. I want to go to heaven, and so I'm going to do Jesus. I don't know exactly what that means or what's supposed to look in my life, but I'm going to do Jesus. I'm going to pray a prayer, and I'm going to follow him in baptism because that's what you do, right? But we came to this reality that there was something wrong with us, and we couldn't fix it. We couldn't be good enough. We couldn't go to church enough. We couldn't rattle enough scripture. We couldn't read our Bible enough. We couldn't sing enough. We couldn't give enough money. We couldn't be involved enough. Because we cannot work our way back to the perfect standard of God. We came to understand what the R of grace. Rebellion. We are naturally Rebellious. And we're naturally going to wrestle with sin our entire life. Paul in Romans chapter 7 gives this, I think I said it before, I call it the do-do chapter. I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I should do, and I know I should be doing this, but I don't do it. But I also know it's a sinful nature inside of me. So we are all in this battle every single day, every single moment of battling, of being in the will of God, of remaining in Him or doing the sinful nature out of our life. You and I know it. The Bible says that if we say we're without sin, we make God to be a liar. We all know we wrestle with sin. There's not a perfect individual in this place. The only time I'll ever say, Dad, you're not perfect. I got the mic so I can say that right now. There's not a perfect person. I'm not perfect. I fall short. And that's the rebellious heart in me. And Paul, when he, when he struggles with his weakness, he says, but what can come about this? And he says, praise to God, because Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ took my punishment. He took my sin. He took God's wrath upon himself that I may be free. I may be declared righteous. And that is atonement. I know atonement's not a word we learn as children. And we're not going to get into all the biblical background of atonement. That's the A of grace. But atonement means that our sins are completely removed from us. So what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. It is wiped away. It is no more. And the new has come. In Romans chapter 3, Paul talks about our faith in Christ leads to our justification. It's a legal term that God is, sees as no longer sin, but just as if we never sinned in the first place because of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so when we were a child, we came and understood, okay, God is God. I am not. I know I've got things in my life that I probably shouldn't have done. Those are bad things I've gotten in trouble for. So I want Jesus because Jesus died on the cross. He was my atonement. And the moment I did that, the moment I believed in my heart that God loved me that much, the moment I confessed with my mouth that God loves me that much and I want Jesus, the Bible says in that very moment, Boom, instantaneously, I was saved. Conversion. 
no longer became or no longer was an enemy of God, but as a child of God, a child of the King. And Romans chapter 8 tells us that this love for God has for us, that nothing can separate us from that love. Nothing. That God looks at you and me now, even though we struggle with rebellion, but God looks at us now in righteousness. That's grace, people. That's something we don't deserve, something we can't earn, something we can't work for. And the promise of my conversion is that I be given eternal life. This life is done and said, and it's going to happen at some point in time. You may see to the end of your days, or Jesus may come back, but when this life is done, I can be confident I know where I'm going. I'm a child of the King. He promised me He'd never leave me or forsake me. He's placed His Holy Spirit inside me as my seal of inheritance. He's preparing a place for me now. Just think about that. Our God is preparing a place with streets of gold, mansions, and buffet tables. How Southern Baptist can you get, right? (laughs) Our God is wanting to lavish his love on us now. And here's, here's the temptation in this moment. You hear this, you're like, well, Pastor Mike, I already know that. I already knew all of that. The question, have we lost our awe? Have we become so used to the story of Jesus? That's it. Or does it impact us? See, when John tells his listeners there in 1 John, he says, What you've heard from the beginning remain in you. Let that be your driving force. I I believe as believers we should grow in the faith. We should learn about those big fancy words I started out with. That's why we have Bible studies. That's why we have colleges and seminaries. That's, That's why we meet together in groups and we study the Word of God. That's why the early church did it. They got into the apostles' teachings and they were learning about God and learning about this salvation and this gift. We should do that, but we should not allow that become overwhelming that we forget the beauty of the cross. God looked at you and me in our wretchedness in our sinfulness, as an enemy of God. And yet God says, I still love them and I still want them. So we bring our filthy rags before a holy God. And he says, welcome home. So how should grace allow us to live day to day? We should remember that God is God. He's God. He's in control. And yet we can trust him because he loves us and he has his best for us. We can trust his word. We can get into his word and his will. And we can live that out because God has a perfect plan for our lives. If we just trust him, you know what, God? You know better than me. Your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. So I'm going to trust you, even though I don't understand it, even though I sometimes don't want to do it. I'm going to trust you and promise you there's going to be times you're not going to want to do it and you won't. And you'll rebel. And in that moment, Satan's going to come at you and say, oh, how can you call yourself a Christian? 
How can you even go to church today after what you just did? And when Satan brings that attack, you say, because of Jesus. Because Jesus died for my sins and rose again. And I've been completely forgiven past, present, and future. And so I'm going to go to church to praise my God and love him. And then when we go out in the world, it's to live a life that shows we've actually been changed by the cross. That we've been converted. Paul speaks about these witnesses there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. And most of them are still alive and some of them fall asleep. And what he's saying is that you can go and ask them. You can go and ask them about the change. You can go and see about the change. Matter of fact, Paul sometimes draws to himself and says, just look at my life. I was an enemy of the church. But I met Jesus and he changed my life. And so when we go out, part of us being in awe and remaining in the beginning from what we learned as a little kid or a student or adult, whenever you came to Christ, is that we go out and we live a life that is holy and pleasing to God. That's our spiritual act of worship. That we live a life that shows that we no longer belong on this earth. That this earth is not our home. We are eternal beings. We've been given an eternal soul and the eternal Holy Spirit is inside of us. And we belong to an eternal kingdom. And so we live it, which means on this earth, guess what? Don't get comfy. Don't get comfy. Don't get so attached to the things of this world that keep you from loving the people that God has put you in, your life. Don't get comfy. Let us cling to the cross more than we cling to the stuff of this world. I guarantee you, when you walked that aisle, when you prayed that prayer, when you, when you made that confession of faith, how many of you here can remember that you told somebody, mom, dad, husband, wife, kid, whatever time in your life, you, you should remember you told someone, I got saved. And when they ask you what, what's saved, you didn't go, well, it means that, you know, Jesus atoned for my sins and I'm justified, and so I should be leaving sanctified. You probably said, I'm not going to hell. You want to get saved? <laughs> Let's just go out there and preach the beauty and the simplicity of the gospel. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. And whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's the beauty of the gospel. There's been a verse that I've been attempting to memorize, and I had it memorized on Wednesday, and then I've, I've lost it because I, I became uh, lack of discipline. But maybe this is the prayer you need to have this morning so you can remain in the beginning of what you've heard. It comes from Psalm chapter 51, verse 12. And it says, restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. And maybe that's your prayer this morning as a child of God, is God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Overwhelm me with how much you love me. Overwhelm me with how good you are to me. Restore to me. And then he goes on, sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Because here's the truth. The love of God should move us to a response. 
sometimes that response is difficult. So maybe you just need to make that prayer this morning. Maybe you're here this morning, and this needs to be the day of your salvation because you've you come to realize that, you know what? I don't know if I ever made that decision. Maybe someone made that decision for you. But that's not how it works. It's got to be your decision. You've got to make that decision. You've got to decide that you believe that God loves you that much. You've got to decide that you believe the truth that Jesus lived a perfect life that you couldn't. He died a death that you couldn't. He paid a price that you couldn't. But he rose again. So you could be completely forgiven. And again, the Bible says, when I believe that in my heart, it doesn't mean I have to understand it all, but I believe it. And I confess it with my mouth, I will be saved. So maybe that's you this morning, and that's this is what God is calling you to. That you need to step out like many of us have done, walk down the aisle, come down here and say, Pastor, I want to be saved. I want to know I'm going to heaven when this world is over, when this life is over. If that's you, I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. If God has spoken in your heart, maybe you just need to come kneel before the Father on your knees and say, God, restore to me the joy of my salvation, of your salvation. But if you need Jesus, that's why I'm standing right here. It's not going to be a magic prayer. It's not anything magical. We'll walk in the aisle. It's just going to be part of your confession that you believe and you want Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us. Lord, thank you that there are depths we can get into in your word. But the reality is if we forget the beauty of the cross, we can miss it all. Lord, I pray here at Harvest Hill, you just overwhelm us with what you did. Overwhelm us with your love and your forgiveness and your grace. Overwhelm us with your patience. Lord, let us be a people that are so overwhelmed with your love that we can only love you back with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we can only love the people you put in our life the way you command us to. Lord, I thank you for what you have been doing in this moment how you've been convicting, how you've been teaching and training and rebuking. Father, in this moment, I pray that your spirit would speak to those individuals who do not know you as their Lord and Savior, that you would bless them with that revelation. Give them eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts ready to respond. Father, in this moment, in the name of Jesus Christ, that your courage, your strength would fall upon them to stand up, to not fear man, to not fear anybody in a crowd, but just to have a fear of you and a reverence towards you to come down and let it be known that they want to be saved. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for this gift. Thank you for allowing us to be together once again in your name and for your glory. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand as we stand.